Welcome to Rooted Within with Lily and Dan, a podcast that shines a spotlight on positive change makers, sharing their stories of legacy, inspiration, and impact. Each episode, Lily and Dan will speak to individuals who have made their dreams a reality, exploring their journeys, mindset shifts, and what motivated them. Join us as we explore the lives of those who are making a difference and let their stories inspire you to achieve your own goals. Irrespective of how she looks, I mean, I just couldn't wrap my head yeah. around that something like that had been said to me. Yeah. I called my lecturer. I said, you know what? I think this is not for me. Mm. Is it okay if I embarrass you? And I just walk out of this. So she said, I'm so proud of you. We are 2 million Indians here in the UAE. And kind of every publication and every business was catering a lot to the Indians, even the big ones. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing that was screaming out, hey, this is for Dedicated. you. Dedicated. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, let me do that. You know how many people want to open a restaurant or want to open a coffee shop or want to write a book? You've done one of those things yeah. and your book is there now on Amazon. Always remember that. I remember getting that email and I remember I was having lunch and I was in office and I was like, okay, bling, bling, this is for real, it's come. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan. Good afternoon, Lily. Oh, I was I'm stuck. Jumping. I'm stuck. I was about to jump in. <laughs> I'm excited to be back in the studio. So am I. Yeah. So am I. Happy, well, you know, happy Eid. Well, maybe, though I don't know when this is going to come it'll out. It'll be a little happy. belated Eid. We had, we had a belated. break for the Eid holiday, which we I think did. was needed for did many of us. Did you go anywhere? I didn't. I was here working on work and pitches. Oh, well, I won't rub it in that I went home. You went to Australia. Awesome. I went to Australia. I'm so jealous. I've got so much to catch up on you about that. I know. Well, we're going to catch up on you. Lots to talk about. Lots I want to I wanna know how that trip was. Yeah. But until then, until we, then have who do we have another amazing guest in our studio. Welcome to Perva Grover. Thank Welcome. You. Did you get it right? Kind of, without the accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the dodgy Manchester accent playing in again. Perfect, yeah. There we go. Like, Lily always takes a mick when I like get people's names. Okay. It's like, oh, it's, it's simple pleasures. Simple <laughs> pleasures. She puts the pressure on you and she course. just sits back. Like, I'm literally sweating here. I'm not sure it's because the AC is not working. <laughs> anyway, it's enough about us. Welcome. It's so good to have you in the studio. Likewise. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. I'm so surprised you have time for us. Well, that's what I was going to say because you guys are having a chat before oh, I entered. I got exhausted like, just listening. <laughs> there is a lot going on. I always have time for a good chat. Okay. That's well, good though. You know what? Take us... Uh, uh, the one thing you didn't t- tell me about is your childhood... You grew up in India. I grew up in India. That's correct. Tell me a bit about that. Tell me a bit about growing up. Oh, exciting, colorful, most wonderful childhood. I think we made so many memories, whether we were, you know, picnicking in in our little garden or in our balcony, whether we were visiting our grandparents in summer vacations. There was no concept of staycations back Mm -hmm. then. Okay. So yeah, visiting your grandparents was the thing you did whenever you were off uh, from school. Cooking with mom, watching her do that, uh, going, learning how to cycle with dad. I think like loads of wonderful memories. Mm -hmm. I have an elder sister. So every day was a fun ride. And whereabouts in India were you born and raised? I am from New Delhi. Ah. Oh, wow. I've been once. The place is crazy. (laughs) It is crazy. It just keeps getting crazier. Oh, I can imagine. It's just like, I remember it's just like this kind of like century overload the minute that you arrive. It is. so much to take in. It is. It is. Yeah. But I was born in Chandigarh. So I was born in a smaller place. And then, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I've lived all my life in New Delhi and now, of course, here in Dubai. So you must have collected a lot of stories growing up. Correct. Loads. And is is that where your passion for sharing stories comes from? I think so, yeah, because I had had experienced so much. And uh, so what I started doing was when I was really young, this is when I didn't even know how to spell correctly Mm. or didn't know my grammar or punctuation. 
I started writing in my diary. And I wrote in my diary for 17 years. Every wow. day. Every day. And without fail. Without fail. And wow. the embarrassing part, my parents still have those diaries. I just hope they never open them. <laughs> I was going to say, did they read them? <laughs> I hope so. Not. So when I didn't even know how to write, and I would write little things like, today I am happy because dad got me ice cream. Oh. Today I am sad because my best friend didn't come to school. And sometimes, or most of the times, I would spell those things incorrectly as well. So and hard. I would just draw an ice cream in case I didn't know how to spell cream. Yeah. So I did that and I realized I love writing. And do you think at that time it's really important to, um, to I guess, like articulate and document those emotional feelings? Yeah, I think I quite liked it. I think yeah. it's very important. And that's why I encourage everyone to go in for journaling. I think it's just, uh, I mean, back then when I was doing, there was no concept of journaling. But I think mm. it's nice to sit down with yourself and just breathe and say, okay, this is how my day was. This is how I felt. And what was it that you enjoyed most about the writing? Just recording, I think just recording the experiences. And also as I grew up later, just reading what I had written. Because sometimes it would be no one fascinating. Oh my to go god, back it's crazy. So I came across I was in uh, Delhi this May and I came across one of my uh, entries and it said my ambition is to be an author. No way. Yeah. Wow. And and I found that so cute. How, how old were you when for that entry? Okay, from my handwriting, probably eight or nine. So it was really sweet. And I was like, oh, so I actually clicked a picture of that mm. little entry and I put it on my Instagram. And I was like patting myself, oh, good job. You knew what you wanted to do. Though, honestly, I had no idea I wanted to do that. Maybe, you know, when you are young, you yeah. have a different mm. ambition every yeah. day. You want to do ballet one day. Oh, I wanted you want to, to be, be florist. Yeah, well, I wanted <laughs> to be all kind of weird things. I mean, even till my college, I did my BCom honors. So I did my BCom honors and then one fine day I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to study journalism and I want to study English literature. So I did my master. So I'm a double master's in mass communication and then master's in literature. Wow. So yeah. But why journalism? There's Again, so many I, other forms of comms that you could have done. Correct. But I guess I uh, journalism keeps your life very exciting. Mm -hmm. It's much like what you guys are doing podcasting. You yeah, meet a new person every course. day. Mm -hmm. You learn from someone yeah. every day. Your job is never boring. Mm. True. There's always something different. There's the story always to tell. something different. So yeah. what, what, what type of journalism was it? So when I started, I was doing some kind of hard stories. Mm -hmm. But uh, later I realized that what I enjoy more is soft features. Yeah. And I started with a lot of profile interviews again because I love meeting people and I like telling their stories. Then I started covering a lot of art and culture mm -hmm. because I was involved in it. I would do theater and um, I would write poetry. And I was like, okay, this is something I like. And every time I would go and uh, everybody had so much to say and there was just so much to learn. So I moved completely into Art, culture, lifestyle, fashion. Mm. So purely soft features. When, I was going to say, when you said the hard features, is that more like the investigative journalism? Like the, yeah, the I mean, deeper, darker stories, deeper, I guess. Deeper, darker stories, yeah. So I would cover like like from blood donation camps to sometimes even crime. Yeah. But I did that for a very short while. And then I just moved to... Was it? Sorry. Oh, no, so many questions, sorry, sorry. right? I, like, like for me, I, was, I was going to say like, that must be quite emotionally draining and challenging to constantly be writing about things it, which essentially is like more the negative it was, side of Yeah, life. it was. It would take a toll on you and obviously yeah. I was much younger and then you would sit back and you would take back all of yeah. it with you. Yeah. But then that, that comes with the job and then you have mentors who tell you how not to do that. How to but, detach. Yeah, but then even when I moved to soft features I uh, wanted to still tell stories that, you know, could make a difference. So mm. say I would do a story on breast cancer survivors okay. and I would go meet them and have their conversation and, you know, bring them to light and let other people read these stories but not not everybody is interesting in lecturing or reading hard mm. stories but I was like these stories need to be told and what's yeah. a better way to tell them like can I just you know make it mellowed down and yeah. so that it reaches more hearts and more voices yeah. are heard 
So I, w- I still continued with hard stories, but I kind of found it to tell it in the form of uh, so narrations. What is one of the hardest hard stories you had to cover? So this is when I was interning with a magazine mm-hmm. in India. And um, embarrassing story, I walked out of the internship. So I was asked oh. to cover um, a story of a breast cancer survivor. And then uh, I was put in touch with someone who happened to be my lecturer's friend. Mm -hmm. And I went and I interviewed amazing story, beautiful, beautiful woman. And we had a very good chat and I was really young. Like I said, I was interning. I came back, I filed everything and I sent it to my teacher because I was like very happy because she put me in touch with someone so wonderful and so strong. So it was supposed to be a cover story. Mm -hmm. And when the magazine came out, it was just like one page with one picture. So I walked up to my editor and I said, you know what happened? And my editor said, oh, she didn't look beautiful in the <gasps> pictures. And it broke my heart. And uh, I was angry, but I was too young to know if it's okay to be angry, mm. you know, in the editor's yeah. room. So I called. So I said, but that is not the criteria, right? Beautiful or not beautiful. We, have, we are here to tell her story, her journey. As a survivor. As yeah, a survivor. Yeah. And um, irrespective of... Uh, how she looks I mean I just couldn't wrap my head around that something like that had been said to me I called my lecturer I said you know what I think this is not for me Mm. is it okay if I embarrass you and I just walk out of this so she said I'm so proud of you walk out of the internship and I walked out well of course because that leaves like kind of I guess like journalistic integrity integrity yeah you know and And that's so important for journalism and even like humanity like how do you say something like that well so someone who's gone through cancer but journalism is supposed to be non-biased it is like supposed to point. be. That's the point. But look where we are today. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is very true, actually. Yeah, it's definitely not non-biased. Journalism was always supposed to be not biased. It's not it was supposed to, to influence you. No. It's supposed to, to educate you and say, and oh, leave you to decide. They leave you to decide. But now it's skewing into the world. Everything's skewed. Everything is there to influence a decision or to push an agenda, yeah. essentially. Correct. It's it just changed so much. I've been a journalist for eighteen years. And I have seen it and I've worked across platforms and I have seen it change. I'm guessing you've also seen that change then from like print journalism into what we have right now, which is digital. Which is digital, And then yeah. you go into the world of like clickbait and everything else, you know, Correct. from social platforms. Yeah. It's evolved significantly. to a point where you, you can't even tell what fake news is anymore. Well, that's you can't. True. You can't. That's really scary. It is. A, it's a very scary world, yeah. It's also very scary to be a journalist now. Yeah, I'm going to say, well, why is it so scary to be a journalist now? Because look, uh, unfortunately, uh, look who you are competing with. I mean, uh, we are competing with not only anyone and everyone who has a smartphone and hence has turned into a journalist, but we are also competing with very limited attention spans. Mm. So what happens is that uh, one, we don't, if something reaches my WhatsApp or reaches my Instagram, I'm not even going to cross check if it's correct. And before, you know, it's gone viral and it was like you said, Mm. it's fake news. So yeah. you've got a lot of impressionable minds out there. Correct. Not everyone questions. So, not everyone questions. So the yeah. responsibility is massive to kind of stick to what you want to and yeah. then be okay with not doing clickbaity headlines. Yeah. Mm. But be happy with only five people reading and just be happy with those five readers. Five yeah. quality. Yeah. And with the integrity and the authenticity yeah. of your content. Yeah. So your wow. favorite soft feature? That you've done? My fear oh so many. I love doing features around food, uh fashion. Why so much food? You get to taste the food. Yeah, I get to taste the food, but but I just love food. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I get to taste the food, but I'm not a cook. So I have never done food reviews as Mm -hmm. such because listen, if I don't, I get by, I'm a need-based cook, but uh, I'm not going to go judge food which is made and say, oh my God, this was chewy, this was not. So I'm not doing that, right? 
So I I write try to weave stories around food or whether I'm covering fashion. So soft stories favorite. Uh, every time I think I've come out, covered a theatrical production has been my favorite. Uh-huh. Yeah. Any yeah. favorite theatrical production? Oh, I just saw one. So that's on the top of my mind. I just saw one two weeks ago, yeah. which is a Hindi Urdu production, and it was it's by these two actors from India, Bollywood, and they mm-hmm. performed in Dubai. And it's called Ismat Apa Ke Naam. So there are three stories narrated, wow. and there are three players who are narrating the stories, and it was gorgeous. Yeah. It must be incredible to be able to write about the arts. It is. Yeah, you get to see things, taste things, experience things. Like it's a lifestyle. It is, yeah. An incredible lifestyle. But it's also the content's great, isn't it? Art and culture. So half your job is done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't doesn't get better than that. Can you imagine if you, you know, you had to cover finance? So, yeah. <laughs> no, no disrespect to the finance people. No disrespect to the finance. It makes the world go We would go definitely around. no attention span for that no, one. No, no, my side anyway. Numbers are important. They are. They are for somebody else. Yes. Um, how did you end up in Dubai though? I mean, so, there must be a story to how you got here. Oh, that's a story. So I ended up in Dubai when I got married. Okay. And so this was 10 years ago. And yeah, so my husband um, was living in Kuwait. He's born, brought up in Kuwait. He's an Indian. Okay. I've got to stop you there for a second. How does a woman living in India end up marrying a man in Kuwait? Okay, so you know, usually when we are asked that question, my husband and I take turns to narrate okay, the story. On. And I'll always tell him today's your turn. I was gonna say, is it the same story? It's the same <laughs> okay, story. Is it aligned? Right <laughs> yeah. It's aligned. I was in Kenya mm-hmm. on a media trip and I was with a senior journalist and she said, um, are you uh, dating? Are you seeing someone? I said, no. And she said, okay, I want to introduce you to someone and I think you both will get along. I was like, okay. We went back to India. Yeah, and I was like, okay, we went back to India. I thought she's going to forget about it. I thought Mm -hmm. I'm going to forget about Mm -hmm. it. And then she contacted me. She said, did you get in touch with him? I said, no. She's like, okay, here's his number. I said, but this is not an India number. Where does he live? She said, Kuwait. I said, so what's wrong with you? How is this ever going to work? She said, no, you have to speak to him. And then we spoke and then um, we kept meeting. And yes, here we are today. Fast forward said, yeah. Mm. So I keep the joke is that I had to like cross continents to meet you. And yeah. But that's the thing. Like, so you, you did long distance for a while or we, you sort yeah. of back and forth, like literally went back and forward? So we did long distance for a bit. Yeah. Wow. And then we are here today. Yeah. And did you move to Kuwait or he moved to India? No, or? here's the good story. <laughs> we ah. both decided to move to Dubai. Ah, was Dubai on the, the agenda or? I don't think it was back then. But yeah, when we started ha- like having a conversation or where do we want to stay? And when we were, you know, the wedding date was closer. And I said, okay. So we were both discussing and we just wanted to do something that was both right. Like right mm. for both, right? Yeah. He had never lived in India. Of course, he was visiting during summer vacations. I have never so lived he's, in So he'd never lived in India? So he's he, never lived in India. So he wasn't born in India? No, in Kuwait. Yeah, so he was born, born and grew up in Kuwait? Yeah, but he would go back obviously for summer breaks. Yeah. And yeah. So see family and, <laughs> and stuff. And see family. So okay. he's, it's obviously yeah. different, isn't it? Because like the Middle East is your home. If you've been born yeah. and raised here, it's, just, it's different. It's different. Yeah. So then we were like, okay. So then we're like, okay, let's, why not move to Dubai? It's a new place. We'll both explore. But why Dubai and not Qatar, for example, or Saudi or... I guess purely because of the opportunities mm-hmm. also because he yeah. had lived here for long enough and he said, okay, you know, in terms for growth, it would be nice. And in terms of the profession that I was in also, we were mm-hmm. like, okay, it's English speaking and yeah. there will be growth for both of us. And when did you move here? 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, so November 2012. Yeah, so I'm guessing then obviously the industry, the media industry is really starting to take off then. Because there wasn't much of a media industry prior to… 2009, it was just yeah. ITP. 
Yeah. I think it was <laughs> like the, the Giants, I think. And Super then obviously was, things yeah. like the National Style to come on board and correct, there was correct. other publications. So when I came here, I think there, there was quite uh, quite a lot happening. Okay. But yes, of course, not quite a lot happening in, in terms of digital. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we were still touching Print. and feeling the paper and yeah. <laughs> flipping through the real magazines. Yeah. yeah. Do you miss that sometimes? Or do you oh, still get to that, feel the I'm, I'm very old school. Do you, I miss Same. the smell. I'm so old the school. Smell the smell of a magazine. Thank is really you. Weird. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. A brand new book. You know, mm. my publishers had a very tough time convincing me to get my book on as an e-book because I was like, no, it's let's not, not do that. People back in hardback is good. But they were like, no, you'll reach a larger audience. But I said, yeah, but you can't put like a bookmark. You can't do this. You same. can't, like you said, you can't smell a book. Yeah, so I'm I, old school. I still don't have a Kindle. No, I don't. I no. have one, I but like I don't print. charge it often. But we're jumping ahead. Yeah, we're jumping sorry, ahead. No. So you pack up your bags, you decide both of you are going to sacrifice being away from what you know and yeah. land in Dubai. Correct. What was that like? Um, beautiful. I think we were just exploring so many things yeah. together, setting up a home. And yeah, it, it's been nice. So you arrived without having a job. So I, when I arrived, I was freelancing for a couple of magazines mm-hmm. and um, I had done my homework and I was already freelancing for a couple of magazines in Kuwait and mm-hmm. in Saudi mm-hmm. and in Dubai. So I came with freelancing assignments, but yeah, I didn't have a full-time job. Daunting? Yeah, quite. When you worked all your life and then you land in a new country and you're like, oh my God, I have, this, I have to update my CV again. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. knows me here. And restart again. Yeah, mm-hmm. how, how does that work? So yeah, that's just, quite a lot. But you didn't, you didn't stick to freelancing for long, did you? No, I didn't. All right. <laughs> I didn't. No rest for the wicked here. Of course. Go on, so share what did you jump us. into? So, yes. So, I was looking for a job and I was like, okay, meanwhile, I find something which is, which is something that I'm going to like doing. Why not launch my own magazine? When I just like, like you do. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Just got, so nothing, got nothing else to do, so I'm just going to launch a publication. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't like the, I don't like the content. <laughs> Correct. I don't like what they're doing. Mm, yep. Just going to do myself. I don't want to wait, basically. It but was that, like, that, I don't want to wait. That's like, very much the Dubai kind of, or the UAE mindset, isn't it? It's like, yeah. well, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to wait for anyone. I don't like it, so I'm going to do but my own. But it's the beauty of, of, of the region, isn't of it? Course. It's the beauty of Dubai right. that, you know, unlike other places, you feel like you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have the opportunities to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You have an idea, you just go you ahead can and explore it. it. You know? It's a great entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. It's, it's the, that, that's what I've always loved about Dubai. The word impossible doesn't really exist here. Not at all. It's like no, in dictionary. it doesn't. That's, that, yeah. that's yeah. what drew me here. So, yeah. so I understand that. So how do you launch a magazine? Okay, so I was like, okay, my magazine is called The Indian Trumpet. And it's a magazine for Indian expats. And it's a magazine that celebrates… Because there wasn't any, right? Yeah, there wasn't any. Nothing, nothing focused on really? the... Can you believe that? Yeah, I, I want to demog- rewind for a second. Sure. Because that's a huge demographic exactly. of the population here. But that's exactly what, what um, happened. It's like sitting there going, hold on, I'm going to let you tell yeah. your story. So yeah, so I was like, okay, this is little India. Everybody's speaking the yeah. language. Everybody loves What's Indian food. What's the population? Food. I think 2 million, mm-hmm. uh, latest says 2 million plus. Yeah. And I was like, we have to be a 2 million Indians here in the UAE. And kind of every publication and every business was catering a lot to the Indians, even the big ones. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing that was screaming out, hey, this is for Dedicated. you. Dedicated. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, let me do that. And I was a new Indian expat married to an NRI. And I was like, okay, I want to explore this. But I didn't want to do it, you know, the regular way. So I said, okay, I want to capture Sorry, the… Sorry, NRI? 
non-resident Indian. There got we you. Go. Yeah. Sorry, we've got to get in with <laughs> yeah. the lingo. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me create a product which captures the color, culture and chaos of India. And I'm going to do it on the basis of like we started earlier on all the memories I have mm. made or perhaps the things that I miss or the conversations that I, you know, when I sit here in Dubai with my friends who are Indian expats, what are they talking about? What are yeah. they craving? What are they missing? So yeah, that's how the magazine happened. I uh, just put a post out there on social media. Back then, Facebook was the thing. Yeah. So I just put it out there. I said, you know, I'm here and I want to do something. And um, I started by asking my, you know, fellow journalists back home if anybody is keen to contribute because obviously I didn't have money at that mm -hmm. point. So I said, is anyone willing to contribute? And we are going to do everything with the twist. So everything is going to be really quirky. So I got, fortunately, a lot of people said, oh, define quirky. So quirky would mean that uh, all our editions are a celebration, like I said. So it's a celebration of the color, culture and chaos. So mm -hmm. we would pick up any topic like Indian pickles mm -hmm. yeah. and we'd create an entire edition around pickles and chutneys. We will pick a topic like Indian toilet also. We've done an edition on Indian toilet. Okay. We'll do that. Indian mother. An entire edition. On, on toilet. Yeah. And we got advertisements. Wow. <laughs> then we interesting did, subject matter. Yeah. So we did something on, say, Indian childhood games. Yeah. Indian tea. So everything was like very thematic. Indian chai. Yeah. But you look at it, obviously, like India as a, as a demographic, as a country is so culturally diverse. So there is no shortage of content. Correct. Wow. There's no shortage of content, yeah. It must be and incredible to bring that to life. Yes. You and must have learned a lot as well. A lot. Of your own country. Yeah, because we had, you know, when we started, so when we were talking about the cinema in India, and I was very surprised because a lot of non-Indians said, we want to write about it. So I was like, okay, let's see how that works. So I have grown up uh, watching a certain legendary actor, mm. right? So I have a certain perspective as an Indian, I've grown it up. But here was someone who was sitting in the UK and said, I want to write. And I'm like, okay, how do you watch those movies with subtitles? I'm a huge fan of Indian movies and I want to write a Bollywood I grew script. Up, I grew up watching Bollywood. No. Oh, see? I grew up watching Bollywood. I want I, you I, to contribute now. Wow. I fully contribute. Like, You'd be really interested in that non-Indian perspective. Yeah, because like I had... Um, so, I don't know why my parents were okay with us watching horror movies... My uncles used to bring horror movies so when fine. we were in so, and, and after a point, I just didn't want to watch it anymore. Okay. So I would sit in the other room because we had two TVs and I would sit there watching Bollywood while wow. my brothers and the rest of them were watching horror movies. And I grew up a little bit more sane than the rest of them. You know, it was just, it yeah, was better Bollywood. content to consume. Oh, wow. I love them. I could, I could probably, I wouldn't know the names of the famous actors, but I could pick them. So when I see it, I'm like, oh, I remember that guy. Oh, oh I remember wonderful. Mm. Yeah. What was one of the most memorable contributions to the magazine? Oh, so this one, this is one, like someone yeah. who used to write the Bollywood columns for us. And I believe she's writing her first Bollywood script now. Really? No way, she did it. Yeah. Indian so, or international? International. Wow, yeah, that's so incredible. That's how obsessed she was with Indian cinema yeah. and she is wow. with Indian cinema. So someone who's not necessarily from that culture and starts yeah. right about that subculture. But someone, so the, the idea of launching the magazine was that you could be an Indian, but you could also be curious about yeah. mm. what makes India. So mm. it's an opportunity to discover. Yeah. So your, wow. first, your first edition, what was the theme? No, so the first edition was just a debut just, edition. Yeah, okay. and then from second edition... We went on, we went thematic from a festival okay. edition to... So how, how were you feeling? So it was, it's digital, right? Yeah, it's digital. How were you feeling before you went 
launch. Oh, very scared. You know, I still feel scared. Really? Really? Yeah. I think you are, you know, it's, it. I always tell everyone that it takes a lot of courage to put your words out there. Oh, yeah. And irrespective of the number of years you have written or you've done that, but it takes courage because everybody has an opinion. Mm. Especially these days. Especially these days. And it's very, it's it's easy to get overwhelmed these days, whether Mm. it's from praise or whether it's from criticism, even if if it's constructive. Everyone's a critic, right? Everyone's a critic. People which are like keyboard warriors, you oh, know, they, they can voice yeah. an opinion online or they can comment Correct. or dislike or, you know, diss or whatever. Not doing anything themselves. Well, exactly. Well, there you go. You know, they've not really put themselves above we the firing must line have been to do it. So excited. Oh, excited. Yeah. Very excited. So, how long did it take you to put together your first edition? Uh, so, I had come here, I think, seven months. Yeah, so my first edition was out in July 2013. What type of resources do you need to put a magazine together? Because I'm assuming it's a lot in terms of art direction, creative content, branding. Lots of things. So initially, I was doing most of it by myself. That was my next question was like, who did all of that? No, so I did most of it by myself because I was just using the money that I was making from my freelancing into this passion project. So I was the coffee girl. I was the Xerox girl. I was also the salesperson. I was also the one who was marketing and editing. But yes, I did have help when it came to design. And also I was blessed because I had wonderful contributors from... Mm all over the globe. But yes, I was doing, I would say I was doing most of the work and uh, also because I'm OCD and I didn't know it's easy to, I mean, you know, it's okay to let go and let other people delegate. take charge, delegate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so you need, of course you need resources, but because we were digital, so I think that kind of helped. And mm. like you said earlier, it was so much learning. I didn't know what is godaddy.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to like kind of, you know, go on YouTube. Of course, or this all, thing. all the setup and oh, everything. Because I didn't know like, you know, the HTML coding. Yeah. How do you create a website? Yeah. Okay, now that I have a magazine, of course I had created magazines all my life. But I didn't know how do you upload one now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you get the subscribers? How do you get a pop-up on your website? Yeah. So those were a lot of challenges. While I knew how to write, I knew how to edit and design. But it's the back end. But it's the back end, which was probably the most daunting and it continues to be. Mm. Yeah. How long was the magazine going for? So it is, went, is it still going? It is still going. Wow. So uh, I had to put it on hold for a bit for around three to four years. Okay. And but it been I, going for about seven years before yes, you did that? Yes. Okay. So now I have brought it back. In fact, incidentally, only this month. And uh, we we had a tiny nap because I got occupied with writing books and nurturing stories elsewhere. So I was not being able to give enough time to this. And yeah. I was very sure that, you know, I want to put out only quality content there. And I want to make sure that it's it's worth everybody's time because there is so much content mm. out there. Yeah. So is it, do you, is it a profitable magazine? I hope so. It starts making profit again soon. But yeah. yes, it was. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. I was able to pay the bills. That's amazing. That's incredible because obviously like the media industry in general, like, you know, it can suffer quite heavily. Just like you said, there's so much content saturated. now. And it's so saturated. saturated yeah. It's really hard to get, I guess, sponsors, advertisers, it you is. know, people that want to be part of it. You know, and I guess the manpower and the effort just to create the content is significant. So were you were you able to, um, pull data, were you able to see how many numbers of uh, subscribers? We or? were. So uh, initially it was a subscription-based model where I was charging per subscriber mm-hmm. to come on it. But then, you know, through subscriptions, you don't really make a lot of money because how much can you charge? And I think every product relies on the readers or listeners in this case. So I didn't want to, you know, put the pressure on them. Mm. I knew that by word of mouth, the magazine will reach where it is supposed to reach. So I made it like a free to read and I wanted 
it just to you know touch more people mm-hmm. so then most of the money was coming through the advertisers but yeah we did in the initial few months we did get like close to 17000 subscribers wow. only in <laughs> dubai and then uh, we got picked up from london school of journalism as part of their course on how to create digital magazines no way. yeah it's incredible so how did that happen i have no idea <laughs> somebody was doing their phd and uh, they mentioned this as part of what they wanted to study and then we just got an email and i thought it's scam and they're like okay we want to add this so i was like okay but um, i don't know what i can teach you here but so it did, they just studied it and they did the work Hold so on. i have no idea was that a pinch me moment it was it still like, is incredible <laughs> it still like, is wow yeah were you sort of rereading the email and go- yeah i was i was like no this can't be true <laughs> i have to read it again fake news fake news no, scam scam no but it wasn't and i i have no idea who that student was if the student is listening to us today can you please contact me yeah. i want to say a big thank you <laughs> so i guess it's spread more by more by word of mouth that's wonderful yeah that's wonderful so at what point did you have this calling to start writing your own stories i guess um if i was to put a timeline it was somewhere in 2017 So there is this thing called the Nano Rimo challenge. It's the National Novel Writing Month and it happens in November mm-hmm. every year. That's the month when writers all over the globe, you don't have to know each other. It's a digital movement kind of thing. You commit to writing 50,000 words in one month. And it's not like you stop the rest of your life. You just commit like on day 1, 1st November you you have an empty sheet, zero, and then you commit to write 50,000 words. So I read about this challenge and I was like okay I want to do this challenge because I haven't written for myself for very long and I don't know if I can write anything else other than reports and features mm. and magazine you know magazine stuff that I was doing. I took up the challenge 50,000 words. Yes. Because you really didn't have enough on your plate. <laughs> I did. <laughs> But this was like okay I want to do this for myself mm-hmm. and also it's a beautiful community. So when you go on the website you realize you can have a writer buddy. So for instance I'm writing and I've realized so it's like you have to write close to 1600 words every day so if one day you don't write you are back and 1600 you know sounds very little every but day But no 1600 every not. day is 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 not is a lot And also this you have to do with your regular job so yeah. yeah if you fall sick or if you have guests over or something happens you still have to write And it's going to be 1600 quality words Quality words So then I was like okay I want to do this and then I went into this community and it was very nice because you know you could go in the middle of the night and you could see you could find support so someone would be like oh my god I'm you know 3300 words behind my target and I would be like oh me too and then you would find support with you know from so each other What is this called again National Novel Writing Month so the National group is called Nano Rimo I like it National So I did that and that's how my first book was born and since then I have done the Nano Rimo for 6 six, six years. That's incredible. Year. That's Because really it's cool. an addiction. Yeah. Well, hold on. Back back we go. Back, back we go. Yeah. 1st of November, you blank page. Blank page. What came up? How did it come up? So, did you know what you were going to write? No, I didn't okay. know what I was Talk going to write. It. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I knew that I want to write a story. Mm. I didn't know where to start. I kind of knew that I want to write a short story because mm. I didn't know if I could sustain 50,000, like if I could write a novel. Mm. I, I still don't know if I can write a novel. I've never written a novel. I was like, I know I can write short stories because that seems a little reasonable to me. And it's mm. like a tick mark done over mm. one story time. So no, I had absolutely no idea. I just picked one memory from um, 
my growing up years in India and it oh, led to memory. 11 stories. So I just took a memory of uh, a mango tree, which was in my grandparents' home and how that was one thing we really looked forward to, whether it was eating mangoes from the tree or whether it was playing around the tree. I just started from there and then it led to 11 stories wow. and the book uh, is called The Trees Told Me mm-hmm. So because I felt the trees were telling, telling me these stories. stories. So the protagonist in the book, in all the 11 stories, is a tree in some way or the other. Mm-hmm. So someone who spent their life under a tree is talking to you or someone who's, uh, you know, who's probably spent some years around the tree is talking to you or sometimes a tree is talking to you. Mm-hmm. But you said... You, you, you mentioned to me that it was a bit of a tearjerker. It was quite, there were some stories in yeah. there that were quite emotional. Yes. Can you share one? So there are quite a few which would uh, make you cry. So there is one uh, which the, I just mentioned, which is called a summer ritual. And uh, it's basically about how you spend, how, you know, you spend your time. It basically is a summary of what it means to be a family. Mm. So that's kind of a tearjerker. The other one, which is very, very hard hitting because I, you know, I feel I'm blessed and I feel uh, that I can use words to make my tiny little difference out there. So every time I write something, I try to put in a little message there, which mm. is not just in your face like that, but it kind of stays with you. So there's one story there, which is called Between Us, Mother and Daughter. And that's a story about an eight-year-old girl who is gang raped under a tree. Whoa. And that, that's a deep story. That's a deep story. And that came because I don't know if you are familiar with the Nirbhaya uh, rape case that the girl happened. at the back of the bus. Yes. Oh, that was horrific. That was horrific. So when I had, when I read about it and when we all read about it, it still gives me goosebumps. Yes, same. So that, it kind of stayed with me and I wanted to write, I wanted to, I think I was just writing for it for myself. As a woman. Yeah, as a woman, I wanted the the words to go out there. So I wrote that story. And uh, yeah, that is definitely the most hard-hitting. And what we did later in the last couple of years that we, I converted the play, I converted that story into a short play. And we have performed that play in India, in Sharjah, in Dubai. And um, of course, there's a warning that goes that if you're sensitive, you don't yeah. want to. But I wanted young girls, young boys, young minds essentially to know that you know, you need to know that this could happen to you and how to protect yourself. So we have performed it at many places. How was it received? Oh, it was received very well. Like, you know, there has been quite after the play has ended. Yeah, it'd be dead silence. It'd be dead silence. But we have won awards for best writing, best direction, best actor. And we've kind of made a difference because I think at the end of few shows, there have been dads who've come and walked up to me and said, oh, can I just hug you? Thank you for... Because I would have never had known how to have this conversation with, with my, my daughter. daughter. Impossible. Thank you for doing that for yeah. me. So for me, I think for me, writing books and doing this, this is my biggest reward. I do mm. not want million readers. I want that one person to come and that tell me. change yeah. their life. Yeah. And to make a difference through, make a through difference. the words that you're creating. Yeah. Wow. That was that. I, I still remember yeah. that story. That I yeah. It just, it really hit. It hit. It uh, hit the, all around the world. It really hit. Yeah. Right. So it's nice. It's well, not nice, but it's great. To put not it. The right word. Not, uh, there's no positive word. There is no positive word. word. But the fact that you were able to tackle it. Yeah. And you, you, you gave voice to that yeah. girl. Yeah. yeah. You know, a yeah. voice that she wasn't able to have. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. So how do you go from doing 
50,000 words in a month to deciding that you're going to try and get published? Oh, tough one. <laughs> yeah. You just go on Google and you say, how to send a but, manuscript for publishing. But what made really? You, is that literally what happened? But what wow. made you decide to take that step? Because it started off with being a journey for yourself. Yeah. But I guess that uh, no story is good if it just sits on your desktop. True. Yeah, it needs to have life. Yeah, it's just so I wanted to just send that story out there. And I was like, okay, now that it's out there and um, I'm kind of happy about how it's shaped out and uh, let's just look for a publisher. Yeah. Googled? Googled. That's where it starts. And then? Uh, and then it's a long journey <laughs> because you keep Googling. Then you realize that every publisher wants the manuscript to be sent to you in a certain format. So mm. you shift from one font to another. You go from Times New Roman to Arial to yeah. 12 to single spacing and double spacing to one chapter to synopsis to market analysis. And you have absolutely no idea how to do it. But they were open to receive from you. So it's like you send in a whole lot of emails and then you hope that someone just opens that email because just like every other industry out there, mostly in the books industry as well in the publishing, a lot of things work through literary agents. Yeah. So they're more likely to open emails for, uh, if you have an agent yeah, and they yeah, they're more likely to just hit delete. But you yeah. didn't have an agent. I didn't have an agent. So, so I started, I just, I think I was very stubborn mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm going to keep sending this um, Till I get a reply. And yes, I got a reply. I was going to say, did anyone open the email and you got that reply? Yes, wow. I did. Well, how many emails did you send before you got a reply? It's strange, but I remember the count. I think close to 218. Wow. wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That is and stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's like relentless. I'm not going to let this. Yeah, and you know, I had a proper Excel sheet. Which would be like, oh, everyone I was tracking. I was like, oh, actually, this one is I don't going think stubborn is the right word. Methodical. <laughs> Huh? Methodical. Well, just resilient. Yeah. Oh, yeah, resilient. You know, you, it, it's great. Yeah. It's like the, the no wall's going to get in the way of where I want to go. Yeah. I think stubborn is the, the wrong word for yeah. it. And then you finally got published. Finally got published. That's incredible. Yeah. Take me back. They opened the email. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, someone responded. So someone responded. and You're uh, like so going past all these amazing sorry. moments. Come back. <laughs> so, yeah, I got a response from close to two, three publishers. And... Oh, yeah. um, you know, I think the first reply makes a huge difference because when you are tying up with a publisher who is putting in faith in you, money in you. Yeah. So you want them to understand why you've written what you have yeah. written. So yeah, so this one publisher, when I got a reply, I think they absolutely understood why I had written those. And I didn't even read the contract or anything. I was like, okay, I want to go ahead with them. So you, sent, so you had to, when you sent out your email, you sent it with your manuscript? You send it with sample chapters mm -hmm. and a synopsis and sometimes a market analysis mm -hmm. to help them understand uh, why your book is important mm -hmm. or in the sense why nothing like that exists mm -hmm. or the comparative titles. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so if they like the sample chapters and if they like what you sent in your first email, mm -hmm. they ask you for the complete manuscript and then they decide if they want to. So they read you. Three of them came back and said, send us your manuscript. Yeah, and I sent it. And yes, so my publisher. And all three came back and said, we're interested? Or yes, they did. Yeah. How was that moment? Oh, it was so good. <laughs> I still remember that moment. What did so, you, how did you celebrate? What did you do? I don't remember, like, I don't remember how I celebrated. I think it's just been a celebration ever since then. I just feel mm. happy. I mean, there, there are obviously lows and downs in any journey. But, uh, you know, like someone once told me when, you know, when I was feeling a little down, oh my God, this is not working. They said, you know, how many people want to open a restaurant or want to open a coffee shop or want to write a book? You've done one of those things yeah. and your book is there now on Amazon. So just always remember that. So I think that feeling, 
I remember getting that email and I remember I was having lunch and I was in office and I was like, okay, blink, blink. This is for real. It's come. So, yeah. Wow. Did you have to rewrite a lot of it or no. were they, were, they were quite happy? Because, you know, a lot of times publishers... No, I guess they Constantly, allow you yeah. to have that your voice because it's your story. Mm-hmm. And also because I've been writing and editing. So I kind of have that faith that what I'm sending is mm. good. And of course, but you always, always want someone else to look at your work mm. because you're too close to it. After a while, you forget how to spell the and you're like, oh, is it this? Because you've just seen it so many yeah. times and you you probably don't like it or you probably think, oh, this is really important for my reader. In your head, it's mm. important. But when you're reading it, it's not no. that important. Did you have your husband read them? Yes, of course. He he is compelled to read everything. <laughs> mandatory <laughs> every day. That's part of the job. Yeah. Nice. And what did he think of your manuscript? He loved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but he's not, uh, we are in two absolutely different uh, fields. So let's just say he's not very good with words and he just said nice. And I looked at him and I've written this in my all my books acknowledgement. And I told him, I just gave you 50,000 words and you, you're saying nice. nice. But he's getting better. He's getting better. Now we got two words. <laughs> so what's next? What's next? My fourth book should be out okay. sometime this year. Yeah. So Are I'm, you still writing it or is that all finished now? It's or? all finished. Wow. I'm editing it right now. Are we allowed to know what it's yes, about? Yes, definitely. So this book is going to be, it's going to be a shorter title in comparison uh, in terms of word count from my mm-hmm. older books. Uh, it's going to be called Hashtag I Could Have Been An Insta Post. No way. Interesting. I like that. that. (laughs) Context. So basically, I realized, especially during the pandemic, that um, I was... So I wrote a book during the pandemic as well, which is called It Was the Year 2020. Mm. And it's an e-book which I wrote because there was no publishing happening that time. And I just wanted to make sense of what was happening around me. And I just put it out there. And it was during the same time when I started writing about a lot of dark moments. Uh, Not necessarily negative, toxic, Mm. but a lot of dark moments and a lot of emotions that we all go through. And we go through it all the time. It's not just during the pandemic. We just, we live through it. It just amplified during that time. And I realized that, uh, you know, uh, Instagram was always about the pretty moments. And I I could not wrap my head around that. Mm. And um, even when I came on Instagram and I would always tell my publisher, but you know, I don't have pretty pictures to put. Like I don't eat avocado toast every day. I don't (laughs) go to Maldives every Eid break. What am I going to put there? So I just, I could just put words, right? I probably burn burn my toast twice a week. So, so when I started writing about these things and I started writing about the not so pretty moments, I would get a lot of response from people, but I would never get it on the, you know, like the timeline. It would always slide in mm-hmm. to the direct messages. And someone would just message, stranger would message saying, oh, thank you for saying that today. I really needed to hear that. Mm. I realized that there were a lot of people who wanted to express that. So why not write something for them? Why mm. not write yeah. about those moments when you feel weak, when you feel sad, when you feel like crying? Why not write that? So I just, I was like, okay, let's, so these are going to be little short shots or snippets, as you could say, yeah. that all these could have also been Insta posts. Yeah. And the alternative. Yeah. Wow. Well, the, 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 real, the real stuff. The real yeah, stuff. The, yeah, the genuine stuff, the genuine which is not curated stuff. online. Yeah, because not every day is uh, pink So when can we expect this? Uh, end of the year, I think so. End of the Exciting. year. Yeah, I'm excited. There you go. Yeah. Let's tune in. Yeah. 
Thank you so much Thank for joining you. us. It's an incredible conversation. Lovely. Yeah, I've had a Loved <laughs> the journey and very looking forward to the books and more. I'm sure so, there'll be much more in the future. So just, just for our viewers out there, jump on Amazon to find your books. Yes, jump on Amazon. Jump on Amazon. Or come to on my website. Yeah. You'll find it there as well. We should put the details on socials. Yeah, we'll put the Thank details you. on socials. There you go. Thank, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank very you. inspiring. Cool. wonderful. Indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Rooted Within. If you like this episode, please make sure you drop a follow so you never miss an episode in the future. Rooted Within with Lillian Dan.